0: This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com There's a common question that uh, many people ask nowadays. I received quite a few emails with a similar question that I would like to address this evening with God's help. I'm going to read a few emails, a few letters that I received all basically on the same topic, the same issue. I find, this person writes, that many Jewish communities are becoming more and more radical, but they don't teach much about the meaning, the depth of Yiddishkeit, of Judaism. I live in a very Hasidic community, Hasidic community. I find from my experience that basically, it's mostly about the outside much more than the inside. The chitzanius rather than the pnimius. I see a lot of my friends, I'm quoting this letter verbatim, word for word. I see a lot of my friends, they are fed up with the system. All they do for Yiddishkeit is they dress up in the Hasidisha style so that they could cover up what's going in, what's going on inside. Inside they do whatever they like. They don't believe in anything. Literally, they don't believe in anything. They're so cynical about the system, but they feel they have no choice but to live a life of a cover-up for the sake of themselves and their families. Inside, they really don't experience themselves Jewish at all. They don't keep anything, they don't believe in anything besides what they have to show on the outside. Can the rabbi talk about this topic and explain maybe what Judaism is and what Hasidus is? I know Rabbi Jacobson, this topic may be too controversial for you, (laughs) and you may be fearful to address it. But I'll be honest, I'm a young man, I have lots of young friends, I always encounter them, we speak about this very often, and really, I don't see anybody talking about it. Okay, another email, another letter. There's something strange I find happening today. A generation is growing up, I'm talking about my generation. I'm a young married man, I have five children. We know nothing about Judaism, nothing. We know a lot of the laws, we know a lot of the customs. We ap- understand nothing about its theology, its philosophy, what it represents, why we do anything. Certainly when it comes to the world of Hasidus and Tyrus Hanister, we are completely clueless. Nobody ever educated us. And yet, the way I grew up, it seemed like in my home and in my shul, that all of Yiddish guy depended on what type of clothes I wear. I have parents, they're nice people. They know nothing about what's going on in the hearts of their children. But if we're dressed the right way, then everything is perfect. If we're dressed the wrong way, it's a crisis. It seems to me that psychologically, this is the most meaningful trigger today in much of the Haredi religious and Hasidic world. I'm not sure how this happened and why so strongly. There are hundreds, I think maybe thousands, maybe tens of thousands, but I don't know of Jews, who walk the streets, who live as Jews, very good Jews, but they deceive themselves and they deceive everybody around them. I know people who actually transgress some very serious biblical sins without a conscience, but they're fine because they look from, they look Hasidic. Is this what the Baal Shem Tif taught? I thought he wanted to bring in a little emotion, a little heart to Jews. Where did we arrive to and how did this happen? Am I the only crazy one who speaks like this? Another person. I don't have questions on Amuna. I'm not so smart. <laughs> okay, that's good. <laughs> that's good. You're probably pretty smart, if you could say that. Dumb people usually think they're smart. But I'm very confused about the world of Hasidus. I grew up with it, but I don't know. Who needs it? What is it? Is it like a new religion? Somebody asked me what it is to be Hasidic. I said, I don't know. We wear, we wear different clothes. We wear strimals. We have traditions, customs. We're very into <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry that I'm very ignorant. I just thought maybe you'll be able to address it. Another person writes as follows. I come from a good family, but I'll tell you what happened to me and many lots of families, especially in Muncie and other communities. We weren't accepted in the community and in various institutions for our children because we did not fully comply to the traditions and standards that these communities and schools demand. Now, every school is entitled to its own standards. I have no issue with it. But I feel that there's a tragedy going on because there are really good people, and because they would not conform to all the standards, they were rejected and they dropped everything of Judaism. They don't don't even know what is Judaism, what is chassidus, what is tradition, what is culture. And the moment they say, they're told, that because they don't do this, they're not part of the community, they just drop everything. Is this really how it should be? What does it mean to be a chassid? If you don't comply with all the chassidische rules, what is left of you? Are you a Gentile? Are you a Muslim? Are you still Jewish? If my wife drives, is she still Jewish? If I change the hat of my father, am I still Jewish? If I do something a little different than my parents, am I still Jewish or I become a guy? Tell me about the Hasidic masters. Were they all like this? Wow. Okay, I'm going to read another email, even though I could read another 30 emails, but I'm going to read one more. I live in a very religious community. I feel judged all day. Everybody is looking at me all day. What do I do? What I don't do? How I look? How I don't look? If I come? If I don't come? Sometimes I'll wake up a little late Shabbos morning, and you know what? I won't come to Shul. Because if I come late, it's like sepasnish. It's not nice. If I stay home, I could lie and say I have the flu. It seems to me that looking good is much more important than being good. The judgmentalism is very, very profound. Wherever I go, it's very hard to find honest conversation. Could you really, could you talk about this? I live in a religious community. I live now, I grew up in a religion. Now I'm not living in a Hasidic community. They keep on quoting a lot of holy Hasidic masters. Were they all so judgmental as I find all the people around me being? I think these uh, emails give a little bit of a glimpse of what is at least on some people's minds and hearts, and I would like to address it, at least try to address some of it this evening. Of course, to read these emails, to read these letters, and to hear these sentiments, both verbally and in writing from people, is very sad It's sad because of how uh, a generation of Jews, so talented, so creative, so good, so elevated in many ways, towards the end of Jewish history, is yet so deprived from treasures that can enrich and enhance so many lives in such a meaningful and noble way. When the Balshamtiv was five years old, he lost both of his parents. He was orphaned from his father Rebbe Eliezer and his mother Sara. Before his father passed away, he called in his son, five-year-old boy. His name was, of course, Yisrael. The Balshamtiv's name was Rebbe Yisrael Balshamtiv, and he said, "Yisraelik, Hini I'm going on to the next world." Before I die, I want to share with you two <coughs> final instructions. And he said, number one, Yisraelik, sollst lieben jeden Iden mit dein ganzer Herz, Leib und Schammer. You should love every Jew with your entire heart, flesh and soul. Number two, zweitens, sollst nicht haben von kein Sach nicht und von kein Mensch nicht in der Welt. Fear not, no person and no thing in the world outside of Hashem. He passed on. And it's well known that these two final statements that his father shared with him right before he passed away became the two pillars of light that guided, instructed, defined the Baal life, his contribution, his Torah, his teachings, his influence Compare these two statements with these emails. <laughs> All you need to do to appreciate the fact that we have a crisis of ignorance, and that crisis of ignorance we will try, and the to at least rectify only a little bit, if only a little bit. Now, when it comes to the practical questions here, people really have to be mature and figure out what they need to do for themselves, their spouses, their children, their loved ones, to be able to live the best, happiest, healthiest, most meaningful, exciting, and successful life spiritually, materially. To live the life that God really wants you Live. That people have to figure out on their own as mature adults. You have to figure out what you need for your home, what you need for your family, what you need for your husband, for your wife, for your children, for your well being, for your emotional health, and equally important for your relationship with your own soul and with your own God. There are many cultures today in the Jewish world. For some people, certain cultures are wonderful, for other people, these cultures are a disaster. You really have to figure out What works for you? Now, let's take an example like garments, clothes. Clothes are an important thing. Clothes are also valuable. In many communities, clothes are extremely important. They represent messiah, they represent culture, they represent tradition. But we still have to understand that clothes, as important and significant as they are, are external. When clothes become more important then personality, creed, character, soul, mind, inner happiness, inner emotions, we have a serious problem. Clothes are important. Clothes are wonderful. Clothes are sometimes very holy. But clothes are clothes. Clothes are garments. They say there was, a yidah, there was a Jew of Chelem. The Jews of Chelem were known for their stupidity. Really, they were known for their wisdom and people were jealous. So they invented all these jokes about Jews of Chelem. In Poland, I once was in Toronto for a Shabbos, and I told a sto- started to say a story. I'm going to tell you a story of Chelem. So one old woman, she looked like 94 years old. She gets to his Rabbi Jacob, Jacobs, so wait, before you begin, let me just tell you, I was born and raised in Chelem, <laughs> in Poland, right? So I'm like, whoa, this was the first time Chelem was alive in front of my eyes. So I said, instead of me telling stories of Chelem, why don't you, Rabbitson, share with us some stories of Chelem? And by the way, the Maharsha was a Rav in Chelm for nine years. She <laughs> doesn't know the Maharsha, the great, one of the greatest commentators on the Gemara, Rabbi Shmuel Adels. Edels. The Maharsha, who everybody learns in the back of the Gemara, Chidusha HaLochis, is HaGoddess, Maharsha, he was a rabbi in Chelm for many years. So they say a about, story about a Jew from Chalem. He was traveling on a train, and he had to get off at a particular stop after a few hours, and it was night, so he wanted to go to sleep, so he asked the conductor, said, wake me up 4 o'clock in the morning, 15 minutes before the destination where I have to get off. Of course. He takes off his clothes, puts it down in the corner, and he goes to sleep. The conductor wakes him up 4 o'clock in the morning. It's pitch dark. He didn't know that nearby, nearby, he saw nearby there was a Russian general earlier. And the Russian general also went to sleep. And he also took off his clothes. So 4 in the morning, it was so dark, instead of putting on his own clothes, he put on the clothes of the Russian general. Okay, he comes home to Chelem. He walks into his house and his wife sees, she says, You completely went crazy. He says, What's the problem? She says, Look in the mirror. He takes a look in the mirror and he says, See this beautifully uh, handsome uh, dressed Russian general. And he says, I always knew that the conductors are fools. She says, What do you mean? He says, He woke up the general instead of me. <laughs> it's, a, it's an anecdote. But when this anecdote defines people's lives, it becomes tragic. Clothes are important. As I said, clothes are holy. In some traditions, they're very holy. But when they become more important than who we are as people, as individuals, do we have a challenge. A yeshiva boy once told me, a 19-year-old boy, he said, I was three years in a particular yeshiva. Every day I would come down with a yamulke that has, you know, these uh, little pictures on them. What are they called? Uh, my Rosh Hashim used to call it with mitzlomen. Uh, that was his approach. But uh, what do they call it? You know, yamulkes with a with a name, with a this. Every day, every morning, the mashgiach would send me back to the dormitory and say, we don't wear this yamulke here. Every morning we had the same argument. He said, but the man didn't even know that for three years I didn't put on tefillin. He wouldn't even imagine. But if I would have put on that yamulke, everything would have been perfect. That's what happens when people stop differentiating between pnimius and chitzonius, between the internal and the external. I was once at a bar mitzvah a few years ago, and I was surprised that the father of the bar mitzvah boy put on a type of Hasidic garment that he never wears. So I said, what happened? Very interesting, he says, My father called me up today and he said, If you want me to come to this bar mitzvah, you have to wear this particular garment. If not, I won't come. Your mother won't come and I won't let any of your siblings, thirteen siblings, I will not let any of your siblings come because I support them and they all need me. I will not let anybody come. I said wow, very interesting. So I put it on. What I I want my father to be at the mother bah mitzvah. So at the ba mitzvah, you know, my, I get paid for mixing into people's business even when they don't ask me. So I went over to the, to this, uh, to the father, and I said, uh, Mazel we shall have a lot of machas. I see your you, you son dressed up for this mitzvah beautifully, and the garment must be giving you a lot of pleasure, a lot of delight. Huh? He says, amazing, in fact, I made a condition with him. If I want, he was proud of it. If he wants me to come to the mitzvah, this is what's needed. So I said, it's so interesting. Did you make a condition with him about his internal development? About his internal character? Do you know what's going on in his heart, in his mind? Do you know how much spiritual growth this young man experienced over the last two years? I know him quite intimately. He looked at me like I fell off from Mars. He says, Stop speaking nonsense. Now, as I said, Certain garments in certain places are very, very sacred, but here there is a challenge. This is already a tragedy, when what he looks at his children is primarily at the garments, not at the heart. This, I think, needs needs some uh, needs some rectification. And I would say, generally, we live in a time where people deserve to be educated. The beauty of Yiddishkeit is everything is recorded. No rabbi, rabbi, Sadik rav, rosh shiva has the ability to invent things and just spring them out from his sleeve like in a circus. doesn't work that way. Nobody has the ability to wake up one morning and say, you know, I decided today a new khumrah. I'm in a bad mood. Why don't we do a new khumrah? Everything is recorded. Every minnig, every din, every alakha, we could trace back, see its evolution. Who, who introduced it? When? Why? Because we're the people of the book, Am HaSefer. We take back every single mitzvah, we go back, we see how it's in Shulchan Aruch, how it's in Tur, how it's in Rambam, how it's in the Rif, how it's in Talmud Bavli, how it's in the Mishnah, how it's in the Chumash, all the way back. How everything developed. The Tanoim and the Amayroim and the Goi and the Goinim and the Rishoyim and the Achroinim, the Poiskim, the Achroinim, the till today. a reason for it. Judaism wants everybody to be educated. You should know what's a daraisa, what's a biblical commandment, what's a rabbinic commandment, what's a minhig, what's a custom, what's a tradition, what's culture, what's mishagas, what's shtik, which for some people shtik are fine, what's a chumrah, what's a hidur, Minhagim are awesome. Minig is strong. says, Minig no A minig is very precious. But just know a person sometimes doesn't do a minig. And the next thing is, no Shabbos, no kashras, no tefillin. Why? Why? Now he tells me, because I stopped this minig, he didn't do something. They don't, you're not Jewish. Well, who speaks like this? A minig is great. There's a minig, there's a dairy, there's a humrah. You don't have to be machmir. Khumra, by definition, is about a romantic relationship, a hidur. You can't make in the nikzuva that you have to bring on Friday 120 roses. It's not a nikzuva, it's about a relationship. That's the definition of a hidur, a khumra. I want to go the extra mile. When that becomes something that's forced, it loses its whole beauty, it loses its whole significance. So, therefore, people deserve to understand, to understand all of this. That's by way of introduction. And now I want to answer some of these questions and many more. I want to discuss what is this creature called Hasidus. But I discuss it from its source. I know some of the things I say people may have never heard. That's normal, that's fine. That's why we have these classes. It was Reb Yitzchak Hutne, of HaLivracha, who was a Slabotke Talmud. The Rosh Hashiva of Yeshiva Belin. Who once pointed out a very interesting anomaly. And he said the yard site of the Balshemtiv, the founder of the Hasidic movement and the founder of Hasidus, the yard site of Rabbi Surah Balshemtiv is is Shavuos. Zman Matan Terah Seinu, the day the Torah was given. The yard site of the Vilna is Chal Sukkis, Zman Sim Chaseinu, the time of our joy. Balshemtiv passed away, Shvu'ez Tovkov Chav, 1760. The Vilnagon passed away, Sukkah, Chalomoye Tovkov, Nun Ches, 1797. Some decades later, Rabbi Yitzchak Hutne said, We would expect the Bal Shemtev, the founder of Chsidis, his yard site, Sukkah, mansim Chaseinu. The Vilnagon. The great Lithuanian master, his said, should be Tayde, shvu tere senu, says, but the Hashgache had it otherwise. Providence had it the opposite way. An interesting observation, certainly a cute observation, and I assume what he was trying to convey is that anybody who just thinks the Balshemtiv came to the world to tell Jews, start dancing. Come on, Abyssal Simcha, smile, dance. Alechayim, Atikon. Epicah, a We travel here. Let's let's push together by the tzaddik and enjoy ourselves. And in the middle, have a lekach with a, with a toast. Is completely clueless, justifiably to what he was trying. He was trying to teach. The first thing you have to understand is everybody has to understand this. I think Chassidus is a part of Torah. It's part of what we call Torahs hanister, pnimiyus torah Torah is divided into many, many parts, and different parts got revealed at different points of history. There was a time when there was only Chumash. So, a time there were Nevi'im and then Ksovim. Oops. A time there was Mishnaiyas, and then a time there was Gemara, Talmud Yerushalmi, and then a time there was Talmud Bavli. There was a time there was no Sifri Halacha, then there was a time for Sifri Halacha. There was a time when Kabbalah was completely concealed, and a time when it was revealed. And the same is true with Musser, and the same is true with philosophy, with, with Chkira, And the same is true with Sifri Machshova, books of Ashkofa, the same is true with Khsidz. As Hakoil Assa Yafi the Pasik says, everything has its time in history, when the master of history decides to reveal it. And in the eighteenth century, the Balshemtiv was born sixteen ninety eight, two years before seventeen hundred. Chai El Tafnun Ches, the revealed through the Balshamtiv the teachings of what we call chsidus. Like any part of Torah, it did not invent anything new. The Gemara says in Megillah, Yerushalmi says in Megillah, Talmud, Vosik, Asid Anything that a student ever innovates in Torah was all given to Moshe on Sinai. Does this mean that every Sefer you buy in the store and every Chiddush in Torah, Moshe Rabbeinu said? No. It means that Moshe Rabbeinu conveyed the principles, the paradigms, upon which all development of Torah is based. All Torah is included and can be found in the teachings of Moshe. The Gemara says, in leke midi delo It's always hinted to in Torah. The Yisaitis came from Moshe. What Hasidus did was not create Khalila a new religion, or a new Torah, or a new mitzvah. What Hasidus tried to do was to reveal a deeper, more sophisticated, more profound dimension of Yiddishkeit. The Baal Shem Tov revealed it first through his presence, second through his teachings, and third through the students that he created, who then created many more students as the generations continued, both students through living communication and students through their writings. What did he try to teach? I would say, to sum it up, that the Baal Shem Tov really tried to give the Jewish people a new pair of glasses. That's what he tried to do. Simply a new pair of glasses. What type of new glasses? The reality remains the same. I'm not wearing glasses. Everybody in the room remains the same, but I just can't see anybody. I do see pink shirt. <laughs> I see very blurry stuff. I put on glasses and suddenly I could see much, I could see things in more, with more nuance, with more detail, with more clarity. The Balshemtiv wanted to give the Jewish people a pair of glasses through which they could see reality from a particular perspective. As he once put it, we say in Davening, Habeit Mishamayim ure'ei. What does that mean? Look down from heaven and see. God is in heaven, He's not on earth. Maloi Khalar. Type the Balshemtiv, Habait Mishamayim Ura'i. Kukaf unz mitahim l'shekuk. Habayt m'shamayim means a heavenly look, a heavenly gaze. There's a gaze that is earthy, there's a gaze that is a shamayimdike gaze, a heavenly gaze. It's a way of looking at things from another perspective. At what did he want? We should look at a different perspective on everything. On Torah, on God, on yourself, on your spouse, on your children on your friends, on another Jew, on another human being, at an animal, even at a, fr- at a frog, at a tree, at a bush, at a rock, at a river, on the entire world, and every phenomenon in the world, and every experience in your life. He gave a particular set of glasses. That's what chesidus is. It's a set of glasses. Same reality, but it's about perspective. What did he try to show people through these glasses? To be able to see in everything and in everybody the infinite depth that exists in them. The godliness, the goodness. To show and see the ensoyf, the essence of infinity that is in everybody and everything. In the Baal Shem world, he taught... That if the doors of perception were cleansed, in other words, if we would clean up our glasses, everything would appear as is. Part of infinity. Part of insight. This, in a sentence, I think, at least to a significant degree, I'm not going to say completely at all, but to a significant degree, tells us something about these glasses. But I want to now break it down. And I... uh, I broke it down into uh, eight points, eight teachings that I want to go through. I could discuss 70 teachings, 1,000 teachings, but I tried to do general principles. They don't exhaust the principles, but I think they at least uh, give us a taste, a flavor. And for everything, there's 10, 20, 30, 40 sources, which a few I will specify, but I tried to compress it in order to have a mu'at ha-machzikah, but really to be able to convey a message. And I think this will address many of the sentiments and the questions that were conveyed. The first thing that the Baal insisted, and I say insisted, this doesn't mean he invented it. He revealed it. He emphasized it. He showed how you could see it everywhere in Torah. Wherever you looked, he said, there it is, there it is, there it is. He saw it in every Taisvas, in every Rambam, in every Gemara, in every Pasak Chumash. And that is that God loves you in the most extreme, powerful, infinite way. God loves you unconditionally, and there's nothing that can ever alter that love. No mistake in the world that you can do that will alter that love. As the Baal Shem Tov used to say, the Eibush tehatli Eden mer. He would speak in Yiddish, of course. Hashem loves every Jew more than a father and a mother who suffered their whole life without children. And finally, when they were old, like Avraham and Sarah, they were blessed with a child. Who can describe the love of such a mother to her child? The love of any mother to any child. But such a love to such a child, and The Baal Shem said this infinitely is inferior To the love of Hashem to every Jew. The Zohar says in Parsha Shmois that if a Jew would know how much God loves him, the Zohar says we would run after him faster and with more might than a lioness runs after her prey. You ever saw a lioness run after her prey? You don't want to get in between. The Kfirim, the young lions are roaring, they're hungry. And the mother goes out to get some food for herself, and of course the king, who gets to eat first, and, uh, and the cubs, the cubs. He says, if you would know how much she loves you, you would run much, much, much faster than that, with much more greatness. The Zoya says, we say in Davening, Avas Oilam Aftanu, or Avaraba Aftanu, the Maral says in the Sibis Oilam, he says, Avaraba, the Dashkenazim say, is what How strong the love is. How powerful. How titanic. Rabba. Endless. Avas oila means it's eternal. It never ever ceases. It can't stop. The last Navi of the Jewish people. You know the last Navi was? The last Navi of the Jewish people is Malachi. The last prophet. The last sefer of Tanakh is Malachi. How does Malachi open up his book? This is right before the era of nevuah stops. What's his final message? Malachi opens up Malachi, everybody knows? hafti Eschem Omar Hasha. I love you. Or as the Zoya puts it, Ripshiman says, Anan b'chavivusa chavivusa talya For us, Judaism is completely and absolutely about chavivusa, about love, about affection. The Balshemtiv felt that this every Jew must know 24 hours a day. Doesn't mean I don't make mistakes. It doesn't mean I don't have to fix my mistakes, but it means that the love is absolutely unconditional. Just like a healthy mother does not alter her love to her child, even if he disappoints her, even if he makes mistakes, even if he makes serious mistakes, the love is there. There may be disagreements, but the love is there. A healthy father and mother always love their child. I know there are many dysfunctional families and situations of abuse, but I'm talking about a healthy and wholesome mother and father who are in touch with the natural instincts of parents. The love doesn't change. The Tov once said, "It says there's a pasuk in Shehashirim, powerful pasuk. I wish you would be for me, like a brother, who nursed together with me from our mother." so that when I see you in the street and I kiss you, nobody will make fun of me. Says the Baal Shem Tev, a beautiful interpretation. He says, a brother meets a brother in the street. get a kush, right? You give a kush, hey, he kissed, he kissed in the street. Nobody says it. But the Baal Shem says, and I quote, but this is between siblings. What about between spouses? Usually it's not to be done in the street. Why not, the Baal Shem says. And this is what he says. His relationship between spouses is born In secrecy. The relationship between siblings is born in a revealed way. A family is created. Everybody knows these are the children of the family. So the relationship is born in revelation. The relationship of spouses develops later in life. It develops later if it's not a part of the natural family. On the contrary, you have to create a new relationship that's unnatural with somebody who's a stranger. That's what a marriage is all about. So he says, it's created in concealment and privacy, and it's nurtured in privacy. But siblings, he says, it's created in Revelation and it's nurtured in Revelation. So parents with children could be public, siblings could be public. He says, what does a Jew tell Hashem? He says, some Jews, they're married to God, but they're not siblings. So he says, I want you to be like a brother. I see you outside. I should be able to kiss you and I'm not embarrassed from anybody. I want. I should be able to experience that. He says some Jews only in privacy do they have a relationship. I want on the outside. I should be able to have a relationship. I shouldn't be embarrassed. I should have such an ecstatic relationship that even in the outside, meaning even if it's not in my own domain, I'm in public. I'm in the big, big world. I'm Outside, the relationship is still powerfully intense. The Boshemtiv taught something else. God wants people to be successful. He wants you to be happy. He wants you to be satisfied. He wants your life to be ecstatic, wonderful, extraordinary. He wants you to suck the marrow out of life and to seize every moment and to see yourself as a success story He wants you to have a pleasant life, a sweet life, an enjoyable life, an incredibly successful life materially, psychologically, emotionally, and spiritually. And I am sad that when I say this to people, they often have a hard time believing this. They say, not my God, not my Judaism, no way. He wants me to be as repressed, as miserable as angry and as crushed as possible. A good Shabbos table means the kids and the father are in a bad mood. A successful Seder means everybody is in a bad mood. A good Sukkos means we all feel tortured. This idea, in the world of the Baal Shem Tov. <laughs> Every word of the Baal Shem and his students and his students' students says the exact opposite of this. In fact, there's a beautiful Torah of the Baal Shem Tev, And you'll tell me what this Torah means. I can tell you 30, but I'll tell you one. the and Tainas, Chav Aleph. There were two comedians. You know what Batchanim are, yeah? But real Batchanim, not Shlom Real Batchanim, they knew real Batchanas. Not they get up and say the same three jokes. Real batchanim, and uh, Eliyahu Navi said they are bnei Asi. They have oilam So Gamora says one of the Amirayim went over them and says, "What do you guys do for a living?" They said, "We're batchanim." Rashi says, "Smeichim or mesamchim achirim." We're happy on our own, and we make other people happy. Rashi says, "You would think a batchin make everybody else happy." No, no, no. You can't make other people happy if you're not happy yourself. If you're miserable, everybody around you will be miserable. They say there was once a Jew who had a horrible voice. Horrible. When the business was going horrible by him, he would start singing. When the business went well, he was quiet. So they asked him why. Usually people sing when they're excited. He says, I'll tell you. When the business is going well, I'm in a good mood. I want everybody else to be in a good mood, so I shut up. When the business is down the drain, I'm miserable. I want everybody else to be miserable, so I start singing. A woman once came over to me after a shear and she said, My children are miserable. Could you give me advice how to make them happy? I told her you can't make your children happy. It doesn't work. You can only make yourself happy. And if you're full of happiness and you exude happiness, so then the people around you become happy. She said to me these words. She says, I'm already a lost case. I want my kids to be happy. I said, I'll tell you what you will accomplish. You will accomplish to instill in your children the feeling that they are lost cases, but they want their children to be happy. That's what you're going to accomplish. It's always, we do it for the next generation. Somebody says, when does that stop, right? We never do it for ourselves. For the kinder, for the aynaklach, for the elechi. When does it stop? When, when, when does it stop? It doesn't work that way. <laughs> what is inside of you, you could communicate to others. I'm fine. So Rashi says, "Smekhim Interesting Rashi in Tainus. You want to make other people happy, you got to be happy. There was a big, big Jewish letz. Most of you don't know him. His pseudo name was Shalom Aleichem. Shalom Aleichem was a big, big Yiddishist, and he wrote his own tombstone. He's buried in New York. He died in 1915, and he wrote on his tombstone, "The man who made the whole world laugh." And inside. He was a depressed man. It's on his tombstone. So Rashi says, <laughs> okay. So Eliyoh, one of them, he said, <laughs> They go to Elam <laughs> <laughs> Everybody learns why do they go to Elam <laughs> Because they make Yidn <laughs> freilich. they make Jews happy. The Bosh says, He says, they're Bnei Elam Haba. What's Pshat? They help people experience Elam Haba in this world. They helped the Jews connect their physical boring life with the spiritual splendor of infinity. They brought meaning into everything that people had. So they were b'nei they helped people have o'lam haba here, experience godliness here. But the Baal says, what if they saw a person as sad? He says, when you're sad, you can't lift up your life. When you're sad, you can't be connected to infinity. When you're depressed, you're anxious, you can't be connected to Hashem. There's confidence and joy in His space. How do you know you're in the space of God? Two things. If you have confidence and you have joy. If you feel like a shmata and you feel like an anxious doormat who's supposed to be sad and crushed, you're in your own space. You're not in God's space. You're in trauma. You're not in Oiz So the Bar said He couldn't help them elevate the world because they have to be besimcha. So what did they do? Hano Batchi. They were Mesameach people, so they can open up to be able to experience God in their life. So the Baal Shem taught that Hashem wants everybody to be extremely successful, to be extremely happy, which means something else included in this, and that is, And I guess the best way to convey it is through a mitzvah in Parshas Emer. In Parshas Emer there's a mitzvah that you're not allowed to be mesares. You're not allowed to make an animal or a person infertile. You're not allowed to destroy the reproductive power of an animal. And as Chazal say, And anywhere else, kosher animals and non-kosher animals a dog, a bull, a cat, which is why in Israel they have such a big problem with cats. You know that, right? You ever go to Yerushalayim and see what's going on with the cats there? Why is it a problem? Why can't they just do what they got to do? The answer is, sasu, <laughs> so you now allowed to eliminate the the reproductive power of even a dog or an animal. Ahol Gemari Chagiga about this. What is this teaching us in the Baal world? This is teaching us you know, sometimes you got a wild bull in the farm. What does every good farmer do? You know what they do, right? They castrate him. And he calms down. He becomes a tatala, a mamala. Titus says, you're not allowed. To. Why not? He's a wild bull. It's a crazy bull. Untamed bull. The answer is, God does not ever want you to destroy the creative power of somebody. An animal has a creative power. Don't take away the creative power. And yet sometimes we do it with our youngsters so easily. We see somebody who's a little too... uh, uh, Let's just eliminate his creativity. Let's crush him. Let's put him into the box. No, Khalilah. Never castrate a person. Never eliminate your creativity when you have creative powers. They are divine gifts to bring birth to tremendous light into the world. You have to know how to harness it. You have to help him find the right outlet. You have to help her be able to express it in the right way. But don't destroy it. I remember it was sad for me. I once met, I went for PTA to meet a teacher of my son. He was a little boy. And the teacher tells me, he says, you know, I have good news for you. He says, your son came in, he was very wild. He spoke a lot, he ran around, he was very busy. But Baruch Hashem, now after six months, he sits, he doesn't say a word a whole day. He's so well behaved, he's so disciplined. Ich cook him on. I'm looking at him, and I realized I'm from Venus, I'm from one planet, he's from another planet. I couldn't even argue with him. What for him was success was for me a disaster. Now I understand the teacher needs a class that behaves. I'm not judging a teacher. He needs discipline in the class. But for him, this was the peak of success. I could silence the boy. I could silence the girl. I could make them not think, not feel, not create, not express themselves, not actualize themselves. And that's perfect nachas. For the balshem that's destruction of God's gift. You're, you are a piece of Hashem's light in this world. He wants you to maximize your potential. He wants you to self-actualize. Your creativity is divine. It's not a curse. Can it be used in destructive ways? Everything can be used in destructive ways. But when he put on his glasses, he looked and he said, wow, cherish it. Embrace it. It's wonderful. And remember in the Baal Shem world, God is your biggest fan. You will never have a fan as great as Hashem. He is your biggest fan. Standing behind you, in front of you, in the middle of you, cheering you on. Yes, yes. Make it a great day. Make it a great life. Make it a great night. If you're not experiencing that, this is completely opposite of the world of the Basham. In his world, he's your greatest fan, and he never gives up on you. You know, even the greatest sports fans, if the team has one loss and another loss and another loss, at some point, unless you mumish mamish m'shugah said team, at some point you say, I had enough of this team. We're changing. Meshmatzach. But in this case, God never gives up. A young man once came to me and he said, I don't believe in Hashem anymore. I don't believe, I don't believe in Hashem. I said, listen. We have to talk about it. But I just want you to know one thing. Hashem still believes in you. (laughs) So don't worry about it. It's fine. We'll work it out. We'll grow. We'll develop. We'll work it out. But just remember, don't think because you stopped believing in Him, He stopped believing in you. That never happens. Which brings us to the next point. And that is, a direct outgrowth. The Baal Shem Tov says when you look at yourself in the mirror, what do you have to see? You have to see that your relationship with Hashem is who you are. Everything else is external. You are completely one with God always. That is who you are. That is your identity. You're completely one with Him. No separation. Your nesham is a chelik lekam mal, and even the body by the Baal Shem Tov is seen as sacred. This was very interesting. There were those who taught that the body has to be crushed. The Baal Shem Tev taught, it says in Parshish Meshpatim, You see the donkey of your enemy crouching under its burden, and you don't want to help him, you have to help him. He said, Chamar comes from the word Chomer. You see your body and it's your enemy and it's crouching under its burden of Torah, it doesn't want to carry it, and you want to say, let me neglect and suppress my body. He says. That's not how the light of Torah will dwell in you. Work with your body, talk to your body. We sometimes create a Yiddish guide where the body is seen as the epitome of evil. People understand that the laws of Tznius are all about crushing the body, destroying the body, hating the body, that's antith- antithetical to Judaism. Certainly antith- antithetical to all of Judaism in the Baal world. So the body and the soul are one. They're the greatest partners. The body has the deepest divine potential. the lohin Kadisha, it says in Zoyar. The Tanya says, of Atavichartonu Avonavicharta goes on the body. The body was chosen by Hashem. Because the soul didn't have to be chosen. The soul is l'chatchila something else. If you're going to buy a house and there's a car and you say, Oh, I chose the house instead of the car, you don't have to choose a house instead of a car. If you want a house, you buy a house, you want a car, you buy a car. If God wants a Jewish soul, he chooses a Jewish soul. There's no there's no two to choose from. The goof he chose, the body he chose, the goof. So that's why the Balcem Tifsid is taught. Don't neglect your body, don't harass your body, don't despise your body. Work with the body. Success in Judaism doesn't only mean the mind, although we're taught that way. Success in Judaism means the mind, the soul, and the body as equal partners. it says Mashiach is going to come riding on a donkey. Why not a BMW? A lot of people who are smaller than Mashiach come in BMWs. Nobody will be able to give Mashiach a BMW. They're going to send him on a donkey? Most of the people won't even go. This is a Rebbe, a donkey, a nasal. It's a nice car. But in the teachings of the Baal Shem Tov, based on the ma'aral, chamar comes from the word, choymer, physical, material. Oni v'roi al chamar, the light of Mashiach is going to be revealed on the donkey, through the donkey, in the body, through the body, in the physical world, in the material world. It's not separated. It's not detached. Everything is part of the divine. Said over a few days ago, a word from the Balshamta of the Gemara it says in Brachos Davov, Amar Ula, Amar Ula said in the name of Reb Yochanan, Mei Yom Shecharav Beis Hamikdash Einlei LaKadosh Baruch From the day the Beis Hamikdash was destroyed, Hashem does not have in His world only four cubits of Halacha. Literally, it means after the Beis Hamikdash is destroyed, after the Beis Hamikdash is destroyed. What's left in Hashem's world is Dalit Amash, that's where He is. God has, is in Dalit Amash in the four Amas of Halacha, that's where He is. In the Yeshivas, in the Batei Medrash. The Baal Shem explained is a deeper interpretation. M'yoyim Shechar of Beis How do we know that the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed? What's the symptom of the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash? That we believe, Baruch Hu ba we believe that Hashem has nothing in His world but four cubits of halacha. We believe that you can only find God in Dalet Amashal Halacha. And the truth is, in every corner, in every nook and cranny, in every phenomenon of the nuance of your life and of the universe, you could find godliness. It's an expression of godliness. Of course, you need a Dalet Amashel Halacha to be able to reveal it everywhere in the world. But the Churban Beis Miktash creates in our mind a duality. A duality between the spiritual and the physical, between the soul and the body, between heaven and earth, between the yeshiva and the workplace. That's part of Churban Beis The consciousness of redemption is all. All is divine. Which brings me to the next point. And this has to do with reward and punishment. Reward and punishment is a very loaded topic. If you look in the Bal Tov's teachings, his students' teachings, all the svarim, there's very little about reward and punishment. It's interesting, not because they didn't believe in it. And it's one of the thirteen principles of faith, but because the perspective that they had. Often people misunderstand reward and punishment. That God is basically standing, and waiting. If you do good, He'll throw cotton candy, at you or sushi, or an ice cream, or a milkshake. Whatever that milkshake looks like. And if you do bad, whoops! He'll zap you up with his electric sword. And that's why many people hate God. They don't admit it, but they hate Him. They hate the They're constantly in fear. And we always have experts. When something happens, somebody's there to call you to tell you why it happened. We have a lot of prophets who know why everything happens to people. And it's so insensitive. It's so inhumane. First of all, God never told you why it happened. You don't know. That's the first thing. And the second thing is, your job is to help the person, to empathize with the person, to lift up the person, to guide the person. but we like sometimes so detached from what Hashem is, what Torah is, what Yiddishkeit is. The word punishment, in fact, is a very scary word. The Baal Shem-tiv explains it in a completely different way. The idea of reward and punishment is not God is trying to get you, and He's going to zap you if you do the wrong thing. It would be like a mother telling her three-year-old, you know, I'm going to zap you, I can't wait till I get revenge. Really? Why would you want to punish somebody you love unconditionally? The entire concept of punishment really means something else. What it means is, it's basically a concept of, as I once gave a metaphor, of therapy. If somebody has a lot of stuff inside of them, and they sit down with a therapist, and the therapist gets them to talk about it, it's painful. But you know why it's painful? Because they're spitting out toxicity and poison that's in them. The neshama, the soul and the body are so beautiful. But when you have to do a cleansing, it's painful, but the only reason is in order to be able to make you shine the way you are capable of shining. There's no punishment outside of absolute relationship and love. You don't have to be afraid and scared of somebody who hates you. Ever. It's all about the human being. And the soul reaching its ultimate and greatest potential in absolute love. Do we always understand everything? No. There's much of life we don't understand. We're very ignorant. We discussed in the basics of Amun, I think it was number nine. Where is God when it hurts and how we explain pain and suffering? That's not for this year. it's a whole separate a whole separate subject. But the Balshamtiv taught it's about a relationship. The greatest reward of the mitzvah is the mitzvah. The greatest punishment of the Aveira is not a punishment, it's the sin itself. It's the betrayal of the relationship. Which now brings us to another point. And that is, in the Baal Shem Tev's world in the world of Khsidz, every reality and situation a person is in, God is speaking to him through that reality and that situation. Sometimes Hashem speaks to you through light, sometimes he speaks to you through darkness. Sometimes through revelation, sometimes through concealment. Sometimes through an easy day and sometimes through a challenging day. But every single moment is a moment of connection. And you have to be able to see it that way. They tell a story that with the two brothers, the Rebbe Rebbe Melech and the Rebbe Reb-Zish, the Noyam Ali Melech, Rebbe Melech of Luzhensk, and his brother Rebbe of Anipoli. They were brothers and they traveled. They would go around and travel from city to city before they became famous. They wouldn't stay in one city for more than one night. It was called gullus. They wandered in their own exile. And one day somebody informed upon them they ended up in a prison cell. The prison cell was packed with people. The conditions were horrible. There was not even a bathroom. Instead of a bathroom, you'll forgive me, there was a pail, a bucket in the corner. And that's what the people used. They slept through the night if they could sleep. In the morning... The Rebbe Rebbe Melech is crying. So Rebbe Zisha of Annepali, the Heleke Rebbe Rebbe Zisha says, why are you crying? He says, how can I not cry? You could smell what's going on here in the cell. You can understand what it smelled like with that pail in the corner that everybody used for their physical needs, for their evacuation. You're not allowed a daven in such a place. So Rebbe Zisha says, why are you crying? He says, it's the first day in my life but I will not be able to say brachas, I will not be able to say shema, I will not be able to daven, because halachically with such a rayakra, with such a smell, you can't daven. So I'm crying. So the Bzusha says, so you won't daven. Why are you crying? You won't. He says, how can I not daven? For me, davening is the moment in the morning when I connect to my inner core, when I connect to my inner soul, when I connect to the inner core of reality, to Hashem. That's the moment I align myself with my true higher self. I'm going to be missing it this day. To, missing this today. And my whole day is going to be fragmented, splintered, disaligned. So the Rebbe Abzishah tells the Rebbe Melech says. He says to him, Why? Who says you can't have Dveikus and ain Soif today? Who says you can't connect with truth today? The zelba Ebishtar was at and Davinen. Had Gehesen Ish Davinen. As mit David, nisht mitzvah, oich ratz and he said, the same God who wants you to daven every day, today, Shulchan Aruch, he says, you shouldn't daven. So today, by not davening, you're fulfilling God's will. When you fulfill Hashem's will, you connect Him. Today, you'll connect to God through not davening, because that's what He wants. <laughs> he wants you not to daven, that's also what He wants. You connect Him through not davening. Ah, avort. So instead of crying, He starts singing. It's two chzidim, so in a few minutes they were dancing. The prison uh, inmates see two Hevra dancing. They join them. They talk to them. They join them. Within a few minutes, he had Purim and some in the cell. The prison warden hears a commotion. He runs in and he sees 40 Hevra metans kazatskes. They're dancing away in such joy and jubilation and ecstasy. He's astounded and he's furious. He calls over one of the Gentiles. He says... L'sim he said, didn't quote this possek in Kehelis. What's this great joy? The man points to the two Jews inside the circle and he says they're guilty. As always the Jews instigated this behavior and they're responsible. He says why are they dancing? What's so exciting about this place? The man says I don't know. He says you tell me right now or I'll put you in solitary confinement for a week. Why are they dancing? What's making them happy? And the man points to the bucket in the corner. The prison warden says, could you explain to me how that bucket can make anybody excited? He says, it's a good question, but I'll just tell you what they told us. They explained to us that as a result of that bucket, they developed a new type of relationship with their God. There was a pre-bucket relationship and a post-bucket relationship. And as a result of this bucket, a whole new consciousness expansiveness entered into their mind and they have a whole different relationship and they're very excited about it. He says, really? He says, yeah. He says, I will teach these Jews a lesson. He picks up the bucket and he throws it out of the room. Rav turns to the Rebbe at Melech and he says, Melech, to Davin. <laughs> My brother at Melech, now nah, you can start davening." You put on fill and start davening. Bucket is out. But the story has a very profound message. In the world of the Bal Shem Tev, you're always in a relationship. Sometimes God wants you to daven, and sometimes Hashem wants you not to daven. Sometimes I want your wholesome luchas, and sometimes I want your broken luchas. But you're always connected. You're always in a relationship. You're never separated. The Baal Shem Tev asks a question. I just love the question. It's Avos rivash He says, if the purpose of life is dveikus with Ein Soif, one is... He says, how is it that so much of our life we spend in the Besakisi HaKissi in the bathroom and you can't be one? Just the question is so rich. And what's his answer? He says, why, why do people have to go to a bathroom, to a Beis HaKovit? The answer is, because the way God created the body... It's always doing avidus habirurim. The body is always separating the good from the bad, the nutritious from the from the refuse, from the psoilus, from the sediment. That's what our body does. You take in a piece of food, digestion already begins on the tongue with the saliva, and the body breaks it up, and the body says. This we're going to store fat for the thir- for, 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 for whatever, because you're going to starve probably for the next week. And this 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 will become part of your bloodstream. And this is garbage out. That's what you do. Moshe says that's the essence of dvekas. The essence of dvekas at every moment in life, to be able to say, this I embrace, this I embrace, and this is psilos. I don't have to embrace it and make it holy in my life. I can still pursue my values even if it's there. This I reject. So that's what life is. It's the question that gives perspective. He says, He says, Rabbi Yehuda tells Shmuel, Shinana. Shmuel tells Rabbi Yehuda, Shinana. Hai Alma, This world that we live in is like a wedding. Grab and eat, grab and drink. So Jews do the second half. What's the meaning, this world is like a wedding? It's like a wedding. Why don't you tell me this world is like a banana? This world is like a bar mitzvah? Why a wedding? So the Baal says as follows. A wedding is a very interesting experience. There's a lot going on at a wedding. And people come to a wedding. You have the music. You have the clothes. You have the flowers. You have the bar. You have the sushi bar. You have the Viennese table. You have the Shmuggers board. You have the caterer. You have the Mechatonim. You have the Masada Kedushan. You have the Rav. You have the Edis. You have the guy who gets brachachrita You have the guy who doesn't talk to you because he didn't get brachachrita and it's all going on at a wedding at the same time. And everybody's busy. The photographer is ab- upset and this one is anxious and this gown didn't work out and this hat didn't work out. And the strimal doesn't look good, the she doesn't look good, the batchin does does stupid jokes, etc. And the fork is on the left side instead of the right side. And the singer is horrible. Crisis mode. And you'll ask somebody, how was the wedding? I say, "Ooh, the food was unbelievable. The dancing of the Batchen Moiradik, the mitzvatans as horrible as can be. This was great, this was awesome, the Kala, the Choset, moiridik." Bar says, they weren't at the wedding. <laughs> they weren't at the wedding! They were at the flower shop, they were at the caterer shop, they were at the music shop, they were at the gown shop, they weren't at the wedding. He says, the wedding is one moment under the chuppah, he puts a ring on the caller's finger and he says, Hare At Li. Hi Alma lula damya." This world is like a wedding. A lot going on. And the point of the wedding is don't miss the core, don't miss the Nakuda. Don't get caught up. Remember what it's about. Truth. Goodness your relationship with God at every moment, and you being an ambassador of love, light, and hope to the world. It's like a wedding. There's a lot going on, and there's a lot of distractions. Stay focused. Sees that moment. Because in His world, your reality is oneness. Your reality is dveikos. You're always with Him. You're always part of His light. In fact, separation is unnatural to you. Completely unnatural. Dvekas, that is your natural state. You don't have to re- you don't have to create oneness. That's who you are. You have to create separation. Although we feel separated, that feeling is alien to our true essence. In your true essence, there is always wholesomeness. Always dvekas. Always oneness. And in fact, for the Baal Shem Tov and his teachings revealing what Yiddishkeit is, all of Torah mitzvahs is really to express this truth. We don't create our relationship through Torah mitzvahs. We are essentially one with the Ein Saif always. Torah mitzvahs is an opportunity to be able to live this relationship, to breathe it, to experience it to be tuned into it throughout our days and throughout our nights, in our mornings and in our evenings. All Torah and Mitzvahs is an opportunity to align ourselves with this truth of who we are, with this essential truth. What is a sin in the Baal world? Beyond anything else, a sin is basically betrayal of yourself. Betrayal of your true self being in the lap of infinity, being completely Part of the infinite light, an ambassador of love, light, and hope. I'm basically betraying myself. Which is why he introduced so much the concept of simchishal mitzvah. To have a bren, a passion when you learn Torah, when you daven, when you say, when you do a mitzvah, when you give tzdoke, when you do a favor to another person. The bren, the passion, the excitement. This is not about being a slave, being repressed. Nebuchadnezzar, I have to be a slave so I shouldn't burn in hell for the rest of my life, for eternity. And if I do the right things, then I'll have a nice piece of Leviosan and Gan Eden. Baal says that's all part of the relationship. It's about right here, right right here, right now. There's another major teaching of the Balshem his glasses, and that is the greatest tragedy in life is when you start believing that you're a victim and you're not a king, you're not a prince. That's the greatest tragedy in life. When you look in the mirror and you say, here comes the loser, baby. Here comes the shmata. Here comes the doormat. Here comes the victim. Here comes the carbon." He says, no. You are Eved Melech Melech. The servant of the king is the king. And the way he expressed it, was through a tremendous Torah, brought by his grandson, great grandson Ibn Nachman of Brestov and Likuti Maharan, in the name of his great grandfather, Zakr <coughs> ibn Nachman, that the Barshemtiv said, "Listen to this." It says in Perkei last Shabbos, Lifnei Mi Ata osid Liten Din VeCheshbin. We're all going to have to give a din and a cheshbin. What's a din? Verdict. Cheshbin calculation. What comes first? First, you make the cheshbin, then you do the din. Why does it say din the chesubin? First chesubin. First you calculate, and then you give the verdict. The din. There's another mission in Pirkei in Adam vishaloy midaita. They exact payment from a person consciously and unconsciously. Which one? Nobody is judged in heaven. Nobody's ever judged in heaven. You know what happens? You come up to heaven. You come up to heaven. Yeah. And even before you come up. They ask you about the life of somebody else. They show you other people's lives. They say, what's your opinion about that Yachna Or you say that. What's your opinion about him, about her, about this one, that one? And you know, we have opinions about everybody. Our whole life, every day we get to judge people from morning to night. Our neighbors, our we always judge, we can judge. So we say this, this, this. What's your opinion? Bashamtiv says, "You finish." He says, "So, what's your opinion? What should be done with this?" You give opinions. Then they print out a database of everything you did. They said, "Oh, it happens to be that everything you spoke about by somebody else, we have by you also." So, whatever you said should be done to them it will be done to you. That's Pshat Din v'Cheshbon. First is the Din, then is the Cheshbon. First you give the verdict on somebody else, then they make the Cheshbon with you. They exact payment from you consciously and unconsciously. It's consciously. You say what they should do, but you don't know it's about you. So the Baal says every day you get to judge people. Be careful how you judge them. Because you're not judging anybody else. You're judging yourself. Be careful how you judge people. It may not be exactly the same story, but there's something similar in your life. Be careful how you judge people. They say when you point a finger at somebody, you're pointing at that moment three fingers at yourself. But what is the Balshemtiv really saying now? Reb Nachman says beautifully that that's why when David did the story with Bathsheba, when he took Bathsheba from Uriah and he sent Uriah to war and he died, what happened? Nasin Hanavi came to visit David Hamelch. You don't learn Tanakh, right? You know the story. The women probably know the story. You skip that, <laughs> okay? So Noson Hanavi comes to see David Hamelch, and what does he say? He said, "I want to tell you a story." There was a wealthy man who had everything. There was a poor man who had one sheep. And a guest came to the wealthy man. He needed a meal, so the wealthy man stole the sheep from the poor man to give the guest food, and the poor man was left with nothing. What should happen to this person? He says he should die. Such cruelty. So what did Anavi say? Attaha ish, you're the man. ha'chit. he had nothing, a Hittite. He had one Abba Sheva. he had his wife. You're a king, you have everything. You had to steal his sheep. David HaMelech said two words, Chotasi Lashem, I sinned. That's what made David David. Shaul did not survive as a king, David survived as a king. Why did Nasana Novi have to do this whole story? Just come over to David and say, Look what you did. So he says, the Baal Shem Tov explains, Because everybody has to judge themselves. He asked David, what should be the verdict? And David gave the verdict. And then he said, that's you. Why is that so important? The answer, my friends, is this. Open your hearts. What the Baal Shem Tev was trying to say is, nobody can control the destiny of a Jewish soul. Not even Bezdin Shalmaila, not even Malach Michal Gavriel, the whole Pamal Shalmaila, Kivayochel Hashem. Nobody can send you anywhere. The only one who can decide where you end up is? You know who? You know who? You yourself. Why? Because you're one with insight. You're one with infinity. You're completely one with God's essence. And therefore nobody ultimately can control. Even Bezdim Shalmaila in heaven. You're a sinner. You come up. You are the one who determines where you end up, where you go. Because in life you are never a victim. You are an ambassador. You are a messenger. You are empowered to create your destiny. The circumstances we can't always create. But what we do with our circumstances. How we view our circumstances. How we relate to our circumstances. And how we define our circumstances. That every individual... Defines for themselves because of their oneness with God. The greatest destruction is when you think you're nothing and you don't realize that you're a Shliach of the you're like him. You represent him. This doesn't mean I don't have trauma in life. This doesn't mean I wasn't abused. Some of us have trauma, some of us deal with abuse, but it means you're always more powerful than your trauma. You're always more powerful than your abuse. You are more powerful than all of your trauma. And then the Baal Shem Tif taught something else. There's no teaching in Torah that is not to be understood on a psychological, emotional, and spiritual level. Not in Baba Kama and not in Baba Basra. Not a mesechta Kalim, and not a mesechta zvachim, not a mesechta edivin, and not a mesechta beitzer, not a pasuk in bereshis or a pasuk in va'yikra, and akher moisar tzav. Every halacha, every mitzvah, could be understood concretely, physically, metaphysically, and emotions. There's a whole sugi in sukkah. Good achis mechitzosah, good asik mechitzosa. Halachically, sometimes you can imagine that the wall comes down, the wall goes up. It's a very strange halacha. There's no wall, but you can imagine that it comes down. You can imagine that it goes up. You have a sukkah that's ten tfachim, it doesn't reach the schach. No problem. Good asik mechitzas. And the Baal said, this is essential to the drama of existence. Where the higher always needs to come down and the lower one always needs to go up. A small example. Every suya has a spiritual reflection. And then the Baal Shem Tiv taught, when you look at a person, look at the soul, not at the externals of the person. It's very easy to see the external. My son is in a bad mood. My daughter has. Yes, see it. But look. Always see the soul in a person. See the Neshama. See the Divine. And therefore he taught, Love every Jew, no matter who he or she is, with every fiber of your being. Somebody shared with me, there's a Jew, his name is Rabbi Chaim Weinschraub. Rabbi Chaim Weinshraub lives in Kirya Shmuel, in Eretz He's very into Kiruv, into outreach. He's a very special man, Rabbi Chaim. He deals a lot with youth. Who, uh, I don't like the name uh, that they give these youths. I don't believe in it. But youths that have that are ch- that are struggling with Yiddishkeit, struggling with their future, and he goes to them, he visits them, he hangs out with them in their places. He's close to them. Mind Weinshaub uh, had a three-year-old son. He made an upshernish for him. A few days later, the boy was in school in Cheder in Kiryas in Kiryas in, uh, in, uh, in, in, in Eretz Yisrael, and he told his moray, told his teacher that he has a headache. So she said, you know, next door there are cots. You lie down a little bit for an hour. You'll take a nap. And hopefully you'll feel better. So she put him in the cot. She went back to teaching. And then she went to check on him. After a half an hour or 45 minutes, she saw something is wrong. She immediately called for help. The boy passed away in his sleep. A few days after upshanish. It was devastating, devastating tragedy. No words. Reb Chaim is sitting shiva with his wife and his other children for this little three-year-old tzadikl. And who comes to visit? A whole group of these teenagers who are very, very far from Yiddishkeit. Some of them piercings and earrings and, and tetz, you know, the works. I'm not going to get very graphic, but they were extremely alienated from Jewish life, from Jewish observance, from Jewish consciousness. But they were close to him. And he was close to them. And they came to visit. And they're sitting. Last time they sat in such a place was probably a while before. And one of them turns to him and says, you know, we decided to give you a gift to honor your son. We know how Shabbos is important to you. This Shabbos we're going to keep. We're going to keep this Shabbos. 24 hours, we won't smoke. We won't drive. We won't put on the lights. We won't cook. We won't light a fire. We won't travel, we will observe and celebrate Shabbos. He thanked them from the bottom of his heart. They said, They offered words of comfort and they left the house. The other visitors were sitting there. They turned to him and they say, Disgusting these kids. Such grubby young and such horrible kids. He says, why? You do so much for them. You go to their clubs and you go to their bowling alleys and you go to their basements and you go to their homes and you hang out with them and you have fun with them and you take them to the restaurants and you go for pizza and you go for drinks. You do so much for these boys. I thought such a moment they would tell you we'd keep Shabbos for six months. We'd keep Shabbos for a year. That would be appropriate. For two years, forever. At least six months. One Shabbos they're going to keep. One Shabbos. Please. This is what they told him. My friends, this is what he told them. He said, you really don't get it. I want to ask you a question. He said, what would I do to have my little boy back with me for one Shabbos? One more Shabbos. What would I give in order to have him back for a Shabbos. Friday night to watch him near my wife lighting the candles and then walking with him next block to Shul. Coming home and holding his hand by Shalom Aleichem, Eish, Yisrael, and Kiddush. Putting him on my lap and singing songs with him and asking him questions. Finishing the meal and playing a game with him, reading a story, having fun with him walking with him Shabbos morning to shul with a bag of nash to be able to feed him throughout davening and then coming home for lunch, having a great meal and then throwing him up in the air and playing a little more with him. What would I give in order to have this boy for one more Shabbos in my house? How much money do you think I would pay? They looked at him and he said, You know the answer. I would give everything. I would give every penny I own, every shekel I own, every agura I own. I would take off my jacket, my suit, my clothes, sell my house, sell my car, give up everything just to have my boy for one Shabbos for 24 hours again in this world. Do you understand, guys? They said, of course. He said, now look at this. This Shabbos, the Reboi Nishaloyim is going to have eight of his children with him a whole Shabbos. The whole Shabbos he's going to have eight of his children with him, celebrating with him, observing with him, enjoying with him. Do you think this is a small thing? Why are you underestimating it? Why are you dismissing it? This is a perspective. This is a perspective of somebody who understands what a Jew is, what a relationship with a Jew is, what a soul is, what God is. So, the person who gets it. Who understands. You have to be able to see the souls in people. You have to be able to judge people in a much deeper way. You have to be able to see the Pnimi as the core of people. You know the Misa? Ah. There was a Yid. There was a Yid. This is a story in Chabad. A Yid Reb Menachem Monish Mozinson. He was a Chassid of the Rashab. The fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe, the Rebbe Rashab. A big diamond merchant a big Talmud Chachem, and a big Ovid Hashem, a serious Chachem. He would come for Yom Tov to the Rebbe, to the Rebbe, fifth Chabad Rebbe, the Rebbe Rab Shalom Bear, passed away in 1920 in Rostov. And uh, he would bring him his best diamond, once a year, the best diamond that he should be able to use for Tzedakah, whatever he wanted to use it. He would bring him the most expensive, dazzling diamond for the Rebbe to sell and give for whatever he needed it for. One year he came for Yomtef, and before he went into the Rebbe on what's called Yechidus, another Jew went in, a simple Jew. Jew goes in and he's there for two hours. Goes out, he goes in, and he's there for ten minutes. He was very disappointed. And after Yomtef, he went in with his diamonds, and the Chassid is supposed to be open with a Rebbe. The definition of a relationship between the Chassid and the Rebbe is complete openness. When it becomes about shtick and secrets, it's not a relationship, it's fake. He tells the Rebbe, he says, I have to say, I'm, I'm hurt. This why you're hurt? It's to This guy is a nice guy. Two hours with you. I go in. You know, I'm a prominent guy. Ten minutes. Minute. I don't understand. The Rebbe didn't answer. The Lubavitcher Rebbe did not answer. Okay. He moved on. He says, no. Reb Monye says, show me the diamonds of this year. So he takes out. And he points and he says, This is the beauty. This is the beauty. Does the Rabbi? This is the beauty. So the rabbi takes the stone, starts looking, a hair, I don't see the great beauty. I think that one is much nicer. He says, what are you comparing? This goes for 25,000 rubles. That goes barely for 10 ruble. What are you comparing? He says, He's explaining once, twice. He says, I don't see. He says, Rebbe, can I be honest with you? He says, Avada. He says, Rebbe, is that a Rebbe? Is that Nishke Maven of the Menten? A Rebbe, you are! On diamonds, you're not an expert. You're not a connoisseur. Leave it up to me. I'm telling you, it's the best. He looks at him and he says, nishamas, men meven. And when it comes to Nishamas, you also have to be an expert. If for a diamond you have to be an expert, for a soul you have to be an expert. This doesn't mean that the person I'm looking at doesn't better make mistakes, and is not having challenges, and didn't fall. But look at a soul. See souls. Talk to souls. Communicate to souls. Believe in souls. It's a whole different picture when you talk to souls. Not because you're naive. Not because you ignore things. Because you see what a person truly is, what the potential of a human being is. Vuhaltman. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay, so I have to cut this a little short. I'm going to say three points very swiftly and conclude. Next point. The Baal Shem Tev taught a credible teaching, all part of the same glasses, and that is... Challenges, skeletons, demons, anybody knows what these things are? All these things are not mistakes in your life that prove to you that you're a failure. They're all part of your incredible journey to fulfill your mission in this world. And the greatest Torah of that is, the Moir Reb in the name of the Baal Shem Tov. The Pasik says, misham es Hashem alekech, You will search from there, where you have been sent to. You will search for Hashem, you'll find them. What's Misham? The great mistake of people is, what do most people tell themselves? Tomorrow, when I become a mensch, I'll be an erlichid, I'll be a good Jew. Next year, in two years, in three years, now, I'm a mess. I'm in the abyss. You know what's happening in my mind tonight? You know what I'm doing right after this class? You don't want to know. You know what I did last Shabbos? You know what I did last night? (inaudible) Wherever you are in the world, that's where God is waiting for you. (inaudible) us, Hashem is not about copying another person. We spoke last time about individuality. It's not about a certain model. Wherever you are, with all of your issues, with all of your challenges, that's exactly where you are capable of finding the meaning you need in your life. The Ma'aray says in Vayishlach. The Gemara says in Yuma, "Ha'bolitame poischinloi." What does that mean? Somebody who comes to contaminate himself, they open the doors for him. Hashem doesn't stop you. You know what the Mauryan Ayim says? When you're about to contaminate yourself, you're experiencing an addiction, a thought, a feeling, an emotion, an urge. You're about to contaminate yourself. That's the moment, that's the experience through which you can enter into the doors of Ruach Hakodesh. You can enter and become one with God. Really? Why? The answer is, This thought that just came into you, that wants to derail you from everything holy, everything moral, everything sacred. This is an opportunity for you to achieve your mission in life by subduing it, confronting it, dismissing it, transforming it. Don't get depressed and say, Oi, what is my mind up to? What is my heart up to? This is your moment. Some of us have difficult struggles. Emotionally, physically, spiritually, financially, morally, psychologically. Some deep stuff. We look at ourselves and we see ourselves as victims, as losers, as alienated. No, this is your Pesach. This is your opening to greatness. This is your path to the Reboi It's not my path, but it's your path. Because everybody has a different path. Don't compare two people's paths. The richness of it, the glory of it, Nobody is detached. Nobody is divorced. Nobody is alienated. The Degel Machin Ephraim, the grandson of the Balsam explains in Shmois what happens. Moshe is looking at a burning bush, right? Hasne beish, it's not being consumed. He wants to know why. What does Hashem say? Take your shoes off your feet because you're standing on holy soil. Says the Degel Machin Ephraim, Reb Moshe Chaim, Ephraim of Sedlikov, who was a grandson of the Balsam buried near him in Mezhebush. In the Ukraine, that what the first vision of Moshe is a Jew is standing and he's davening, and he wants to get on fire. He's a good Jew. He wants to get on fire. The man is the tree. Other mates He's on fire. The tree is not being consumed. You know why? Because there are machshavas zaris. There are alien thoughts in him that don't stop disturbing him. They keep on coming in every day. He wants to be consumed in a godly fire, in a getlech eflam fire. And he can't. There's a part of him that resists the flames. I'm not part of this. Whether it's intellectual, whether it's emotional. And what does he want to do? He says, Doesn't this show that my whole davening is worthless? So what does Hashem tell him? Take your shoes off your feet <speaking in Hebrew> The place upon which you're standing is sacred soil. The essence of Teresa Shamtav is: you don't find holiness somewhere else. You know where you find holiness? <speaking> in <Hebrew> Everybody in this room or anywhere around the world, watching or listening an hour later, finds themselves in a certain place, physically, geographically emotionally, mentally, everyone here is in a different place. I know you're in the tent, but everybody here is in a different place. One person is far the cholent, another person is not the cholent, one person is before the sesame chicken, versus after the sesame chicken, one person is worried who's going to make Shabbos, you have 11 guests, you didn't even start, another person is thinking about this, every one of this. Another person wants to know what's the excuse you're going to have tonight for coming home late, etc., etc., you can always blame Rabbi, why, why, don't worry. As long as you give chazara of everything I said, you could blame me. As long as you give chazara, they'll forgive you. Everyone is in a different mental space. And that's the small stuff. And then there's deep spaces that we're in on so many different levels. That's you. Then there's your spouse or yourself, your children, your loved ones. Everyone is in a different space. And we always say, when am I going to get to that space? When am I going to be like this person? When am I going to do this? When... Right now, take your shoes off your feet. The place upon which you're standing is sacred, right here, right now. You have everything you need to connect to the truth that you need to connect to right now. What that truth is, is different than mine. I have to deal with one issue. You have to deal with another issue. Everyone has a different journey. But be the don't run. You don't have to run. Right here, don't dismiss yourself. Are ah, you having the in the middle of davening? avening? Annoichi alekei avich, alekei leke continues. You see this, it's all me. I'm inside of these thoughts. All of them are here to create the arena in which your life is supposed to play itself out to be able to bring redemption to yourself and to bring redemption to the world. There's an unbelievable word of the Baal Shem Tov. It says, We say in Yeshaya Hanavi on a fast day, Yeah, right. The wicked person should let go of his thoughts. My thoughts are not your thoughts. So there's a voice from the Baal Shem Tov, quite heavy. He says, that's what the Russia thinks. He has to let go of which thoughts? You know which thoughts? That my thoughts are not your thoughts. The problem of the Roshah is that he thinks that his thoughts are not divine. He looks at his thoughts and he says, I'm a Russia." That's what makes you a Roshah. The greatest mistake of a Russia is that he thinks that he's really disconnected. The greatest thing I have to do tshuva on is the fact that I think that I really have to do tshuva because I'm absolutely separated. Really, makhshavoy <laughs> say, Even those thoughts, they're very negative. Habo litam Those thoughts are there to bring you to your own light. Those thoughts are there to challenge you. It doesn't mean I have to go follow those thoughts. <laughs> it's not what we're saying. Don't misconstrue the words here. It means the thoughts sometimes are there to be able to create a challenge where I flex my muscles, but they're all part of my dveikas with Hashem. It's part of my Kedusha. And this means, this means in the worlds of the balshamtiv, people who followed that path were never afraid of talking about their problems, their flaws. They were not afraid to be vulnerable because they knew that God does not want perfect people. God wants real people. God is not looking for holy people to do holy things, He's looking for unholy people to do holy things. You're unholy? Awesome. In the lowly world, He wanted to have the Shechinah dwelling. Not in the spiritual Alps of Switzerland, in Oilam Haba. There you have trillions, sectillions of Malachim Kaddish, Kaddish, Kaddish. It's the person down here, the imperfect person. So that's why, never afraid of being vulnerable, of being honest, of being real, of being authentic. You don't have to be afraid, not of your trauma, not of your flaws, not of your mistakes. I don't have to be afraid there's a core that could never be destroyed nothing will ever destroy it on the contrary he wants people who are real who are authentic that's why in the world of the balsamtav there was such a focus on a concept called dibuk gavreim Ligime, the fabring where people would come together for what purpose hundreds of years before the 12 step program people don't realize the 12 step program was invented by the balsamtav it wasn't a 12 step program it was a 613 step program But that's what he invented. People think today you sit in a group and everybody's open. They're like, wow, we never had this by us. It's a tragedy we never had it by us because we are often alienated from our own teachings. That's what they did. They were open. They spoke to each other openly. When people didn't judge each other, they weren't busy eating up somebody else. I wasn't living in your throat. You weren't living in my throat. On the contrary... You celebrate people's journeys. You help people grow together. It's an atmosphere of oneness. But for this, you have to put on his glasses. And you have to learn how to make these glasses. And how to put on the glasses. And then clean the glasses every day. Every day. You know, Rabbi say. I grew up... My father, Zechernel Avracha, was the editor-in-chief of a Yiddish newspaper which for some of you was the greatest newspaper, for some of you was the worst newspaper, for some of you it was very holy, and for some of you it was very impure. So I grew up with that as well. It's part of my trauma. So, uh, somebody once sent into the newspaper an article about the Baal Shem Tov that was written by a Jew. His name was Eliezer Steinman. Eliezer Steinman was not a person you would expect to write an article about the Vashemtev. He was a secular Israeli, a left winger, a socialist, the editor of a newspaper called Davar. And let's put it this way it's quite a left, was quite a Wefley newspaper member of Mapai, extremely left wing, socialist, and somewhat anti religious. But at some point in his life, he discovered the world of Chesedes. And he delved into it for years, and he was a brilliant man. And he ended up writing ten Svarim on Chesidus, called Mishnas HaChesidus. One on the Baal Shem-tiv, two on the Balatanya on Chabad, one on Breslev, Polish HaChesidus, Galician HaChesidus, uh, Hungarian HaChesidus, Pshishe, But ten Svarim, ten brilliant books. But somebody sent into the paper an article that he wrote in Yiddish once, about the Baal two articles. And I... I read it years ago when it came to the newspaper, to the Allgemeine Journal, but today I looked it up again, because I remember that it left an impression on me. And I felt that I have to read to you a few paragraphs from his article. People ask me why I give these classes in English when most people here speak Yiddish. The answer is because people who speak Yiddish like to feel sophisticated. (laughs) So I speak English. That's the reason. Besides, there's a few people, not everybody understands Yiddish. Some people understand English. And even the people who understand Yiddish, their animal soul understands better English. And I want to speak not only to their hailekezich, but also their real self. Their real self. So I speak I speak this language. But for it, I feel a little guilty that I don't speak Yiddish. Because I speak Yiddish better than I speak English. And I speak, I actually have, you know, we have the Russian Yiddish. So it's actually a little more authentic. So I saw this, and it was very. Now it's a very long article, but I just want to read to you a few paragraphs that he writes in Yiddish, the original. And then I'm going to translate for those who don't understand, or for those who don't want to understand in Yiddish. Okay? But listen, why do I quote him? I quote him because here's a Jew who unlike many people here, grew up in the exact opposite environment than many people sitting in this room. Opposite. So he came completely from far. And you remember Yisrael comes and he says, <speaking in Hebrew> Yisrael knew everything. So sometimes it's very interesting to hear how somebody from a completely different culture and environment, very secular, very anti-religious, not only anti-chassidist, anti-religious, uh, speaks about the Baal after his research and teachings. I don't know if many of us who grew up in Hasidic homes, in Hasidic yeshivas, and Bati Medrash can even begin to articulate ourselves like the Baal this way. Maybe after tonight there'll be a little change. I chose Mamish a few from many. I'm going to read. Punt vid e Machnisht keine havoyes zu bakempen de nacht und flicken federen für de Er kommt und scheint es ein Neues beginnen. Der Balschamtef wird gewen wie ein Neues Tag. Lein gedäueres Fahren hat sich nicht bewiesen bei jedem, als er hell zerstrahlte und befreitene Schamme wie seine. Er ist gewen frei von Schrecken, von Sorgen, von Atswos, von Moreschheure, von Charottes. mit Herren von ihm nicht kein Krächzen und sifzen. Er weint nicht, er klokt nicht, er straff nicht, er musset nicht. Er hat nicht ta- keine Teile zu kennen, er fülle nicht zum Rebäine Nicht nur hat er nicht der Lost kein Möchen Katnus und kein Chulschuss sadas kein Schifflus Hanefesh und kein Gefallenkeit. erweckt euch nicht in Pettig kein Möchen der Gadlus und der wie es aber sich neue gewen als sach idische bis und viel von seiner Talmidim. Der menschliche Gadlus war immer gewen als Selbstverständlichkeit. dafa Mensch sich reißen zu Gott? Aber darf a Mensch sich einreißen, zu solche sein, zu Gilu und Schinne? Gott ist umetum. Der Schinne ruht umetum. Der Balschämte hat das nicht gesagt ausdrücklich. Wir wissen überhaupt nicht genau, was er hat gesagt. Was man hat Nach nachgesagt, von seinem Mäuel gesagt von Aremes, von Atenua, aber von aller seinen Wunken und Funken. Sag ich, Zerunite sagten, ist für uns klar, als dem Indien als Mensches geglichen zu erwarren, hat der Balschämte nicht Geures gewöhnt. In Jüdischkeit... Seinen franz zwei Schittes. Die Schitte von Imke Bonnim, die Schitte von Imke Wodim. Wir kennen die ganze Teure von Bauschamte Shemte war in a kurzen Satz. Mensch, du bist a Kind. Der Mensch ist Gottes Kind. Kein Tropen Avdus. Merkt sich nicht in dem Baal Sein und Sog. Er ist cool an euch geleister von der Schlagene de mit Kuloi koim es A viel in dem Minion von Madrigis lost er sich nicht daran viel. Der Mensch wie er steht, der leinkt in ha covered Weil der Himmel ist nicht nur auf dem Himmel, der Himmel ist euch auf der Erde. Ja! Der Erde ist Gott's Fussbänkele. Aber Gott's Fussbänkele ist euch hakisse hakavet. Dem Mekobalem habe gezeugen der Erd zum Himmel. Der Baal hat gezeugen dem Himmel zu der Erd. Und in Teuch, er hat bechlaunisch gezeugen. Bei ihm ist gar nicht gewann angezeugen. Verschärft. Aufgespitzt. asativ sa Paschetkeit. Ist er abgekommen mit ihm auf unser Welt. Alles ist klar und sauber. Flieh morgendig Teuch. Still und unfleig, de ganze Welt is gefliegelt und gespiegelt. Kein Wunder nit, was euch de Baal-Shemtevs fährt, seinen fliegeldekechais. Sein euch guckt und de merchaken, ba darf men quitze sa derdech. Weil men is i da, i dorten, nischt doch keine mechitzes bam Baal-Shemtev. Wir tocken verwickelte Knäulen, seiden nischt doch keinen finsteren Zürres. Was seien denn Zorris? Knäulen seien sie, verplanten nischen, verkrümmtkeiten. Wenn es kommt aber al mit der frischen Schamme, wird mir Kuihin, wie der Posse gesagt, soll das Krumme werden gleich. Wenn es kommt auf der Welt, dann ist der neue Mensch, guckt er auf alles mit neuen Augen. Was ist denn ein neuer Kuck? A neue Schaffung. Neue Eugen schaffen an neue Welt, an neue Erde und an neue Himmel. Die Welt ausgeläst von ihr Altkeit, von ihr Wochendigkeit, von ihr Versorgkeit. Durch dem Auslasers Eugen werden wir alle abgefrischt und beneid. Allah Rummim seine Nawelen. Er is a hossen A chassen von an altnaia teure. A chassen von simchas teure. De Welt ischen widerspiegeldik. Die Iden spiel auf dich. Tansen Singen dich. Nichts not einzelne, abgeklibene, aus der Welt, die Zweige, die sich frei dich zerschockelt. De ganze Idrische Lebensbäume hat angegeben springen auf freiliche gedusche. Heilig Himmel, Heilig Erde. Heilig jet bei Schäfenisch. Heilig Id heilig Heilig Klajusrol. A grossen Simcha A ungeheueret Väkus. A tiefe Hislavos de Balsamtiv hat uvgehert singen echa er hat angeheben singen shira shidim neyse ofein va fescha taits de balsamtiv er hebt uf de sind neyse ofein er hebt uv er hebt zu de madrege von dusche so meiro va se meint opkeren von dem schlechten va se toy und verwandeln de schlechts in guts kein sachen der welt tarnish gain falloiden a Didnit nicht Gott, kdei allein zu kommen in Gan Eden. Achosset von Baal Shem didnit dient nicht Gott, allein zu allein kommen in Gan Eden. Er dient Gott und das ist schon Ganeden. Erbarkumt jene Welt auf der Welt. Er is iberglücklich und woll is zu ihm, weil's is glück und zu sein, a yid. Zu sein is a glik zu leben auf Gott's Welt. Chsidis hat uns gelernt zuerst me sein dem eigenen yesh, que de sich in dem hecheren yesh, In dem Jesch ha miti, in Gott. Bemehlet se blitzig euch de eigene Jesch. Sade ka tomo sadik zwach sich wie a Tatelbaum. Das hat gesagt der Ba'sham. Alle Heichen, ruen euch in de Tollen und euch jeder toll is Himmelheich, weil de Schinn is umetung. Schweben alle tiefste Tiffen in der hechste Heichen. Which is why <laughs> I hate to go over from this language now. <laughs> Which is why, when they used to ask why the Baal Shem was born, why he was born, not when he was born or where, why he was born, one of the great answers that was given was that when a person is in a comatose state, one of the old zgulahs, one of the old omens, was to whisper his name into his ear and revive him through his own name because the name connects you to your soul. The Baal lived in a time when the Jewish people was in a, were in a spiritual comatose state. The pogroms of Chmielinetzky, 1648-1649, decimated Poland. The Shapsi Tzvi, false messiah, devastated the Jewish world spiritually. The division between the groups of Jews was extraordinary. The sense of dejection and boredom and monotony and despair was overwhelming. What did God do? So he brought the Balshemtiv into the world, and that was his whisper of the name of the Jewish people. Our name is Yisrael. His name was Yisrael. He saw that the exile is so long and so difficult. So Hashem took the light, a little bit of the light of Mashiach, and he sent it down into the world in the life of the Balshemtiv. A little bit of the light of redemption was given to the Jewish people, and thus a new pair of glasses, a new set of glasses, were turned on. We're put on, we're introduced. If there's a generation that needs this pair of glasses, I think it's ours. Thank you, have a wonderful week. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnyTime.com.